It's Philosophy Talk. I'm so glad you could all come. I will be reading to you from The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. Before Darwin, it was possible to believe that life was designed by an intelligent creator. But Darwin showed that life is designed by the indifferent and dumb processes of blind nature. Did Darwin kill God? This is slander! Darwin was one of the greatest minds of all time! And his ship was the Beagle, which reminds me of Snoopy, my favorite peanut. By revealing how life really works, did Darwin make the world infinitely more interesting and comprehensible? Or did he strip the world of mystery and enchantment? Our guest is Daniel Dennett, author of Darwin's Dangerous Idea, Evolution and the Meanings of Life. We want you to teach alternative theories to Darwinian evolution. You mean Lamarckian evolution? The philosophical legacy of Darwin. Coming up on Philosophy Talk after the news. On Wednesday, March 8th, come be part of a live recording of Philosophy Talk on the Stanford campus. We'll be thinking about the philosophy of smell with experimental psychologist Asfa Majid. This event is free and open to the public. Everybody's welcome. More information at philosophytalk.org. That's Wednesday, March 8th at 7 p.m. in Leventhal Hall of the Stanford Humanities Center. Smell you later. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, the philosophical legacy of Charles Darwin. You know, Ken, Darwin was many things, but not really a philosopher. He was what used to be called a naturalist. We'd call him a biologist today. But he was also a geologist, and he studied medicine, and he even studied for the clergy. He first became famous as an author because of his book, The Voyage of the Beagle. It was simultaneously a, a scientific journal and a riveting travel memoir. He had a five-year journey to remote places like the Galapagos Islands. But, of course, he's mainly remembered now for coming up with the theory of evolution by natural selection. And it's precisely because of the theory of evolution that it's fair to talk about the philosophical legacy of Darwin. The theory of evolution is one of the single most important ideas in the history of biology, maybe even in the entire history of science. And some people, there are people who believe that it's the single most important idea in the entire history the entire history of human civilization. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, there's the wheel, there's language, there, there, there's even God. That, that was a pretty influential idea. But there's no doubt that Darwin had a major impact on our understanding of the nature of life and its meaning. Uh, go back to that idea about God. I mean, consider the infamous design argument for the existence of God. It, it begins with the observation of life's orderliness, complexity, and apparent purposefulness. It adds that, therefore, life could not, to a very high degree of probability be the result of random accident. And it concludes that in all likelihood, life must have been created and designed by a wise and intelligent designer, i.e. God. Well, long before Darwin, Ken, both your buddy Kant and, and my buddy Hume gave powerful criticisms of the design argument. Well, I'm not trying to claim that the design argument is philosophically irrefutable or that nobody before Darwin ever questioned it. You're right about you. But until Darwin, the design argument represented by far, I think, the best positive idea that anybody had for explaining the complexity and apparent purposefulness of life. Reject the des uh, design argument before Darwin, and you're left with one huge and imponderable mystery, John. But Darwin changed all that. 
He showed how blind, purposeless, unintelligent processes could explain all living things in all their complexity and in their apparent purposefulness. That blind, purposeless, unintelligent process is the process of natural selection. Natural selection means that traits that make it more likely for an organism to survive and successfully reproduce get passed down from generation to generation. Right. At the basic level, natural selection results from the interaction of three different things. Variation, heritability, and differential reproduction. Imagine you start out with a population of beetles, say. Say half of them are green and half of them are brown. That's variation. And suppose that the brown beetles tend to have brown babies and green beetles tend to have green babies. That's heritability. And finally, suppose that our beetles live among a species of beetle-eating birds, but that our birds are better at spotting the green beetles than the brown beetles. Green beetles are thus more likely to end up as bird food and less likely to end up making more green beetle babies. That's differential reproduction. And now let this whole process of birth and feeding run for a few cycles, or maybe many cycles, and eventually you have a population of beetles that's no longer 50-50 brown-green, but more brown than green. Darwin showed that if you have just those three things, variation, heritability, and differential reproduction, then natural selection will occur. And he argued that natural selection is the main process by which species and their traits are designed. Quote, by relentless tinkering with species, natural selection causes them to be adapted to their environments. Darwinian explanations are everywhere these days, John, and, and a lot of them are cool, but not all of them are cool. I mean, think of so-called social Darwinism. That's a very crude ideology. People sometimes say, well, look, it's the survival of the fittest. Uh, Darwin taught us that. So they try to justify social hierarchy and social domination by appeal to that idea. Well, or think of the more sophisticated, but still very controversial hypotheses of evolutionary psychologists, like the idea that men are evolved to have a certain propensity towards rape. That's the kind of thing that makes people reflexively reject Darwinian approaches. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to sort through here, the good and the bad about Darwin. Luckily, to help us think through the philosophical implications of Darwin's legacy, we're going to be joined by Daniel Dennett. He's the author of many books inspired by Darwinian ideas, including one of my favorites, Freedom Evolves. And we'd like our audience to help this conversation evolve as well. Join us by calling one 800 This is an encore presentation of Philosophy Talk. The phone lines are closed. Or send us an email to comments at philosophytalk.org. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Molly Samuel, explains why it's no coincidence that Darwin came up with his theory of evolution after traveling to the Galapagos Islands. She files this report. I'm on a rocky, windswept hill on the eastern side of California's Sierra Nevada mountains with biologist Lyle Nichols of Santa Monica College. Let's see, over here, so we're looking in Nevada. We're just a few miles from the border here, so most of this is in Nevada. We're in Bodie State Historic Park, a gold mining ghost town, looking for pikas, which are small, cute, squeaky, hamster-sized relatives of rabbits. They're sort of shaped like a beanbag. The American pika is picky when it comes to choosing a home. They're sensitive to heat and only live at high elevations in the western states. They live in rock piles, hiding out beneath them when it gets too hot. They spend their days collecting grass and shrubs, making hay piles to eat during the winter. Nichols comes to Bodie in the summers to count the pikas. There are four animals on this one and there are two good hay piles that you can see here, and these guys have been really active. 
So what do these little mammals living in the high, cold Bodhi Hills have to do with Darwin's finches and the Galapagos Islands? We do have habitat islands all around us. Terry Gosliner is a scientist at the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco. And one of the things that we find is that mountaintops are habitat islands. What makes islands special is their isolation. Islands have plants and animals that are different from their cousins living anywhere else. Galapagos tortoises, Tasmanian devils, Hawaii's honeycreepers. Gosselner explains that after his voyage on the Beagle, Darwin noticed this phenomenon. He was very familiar with habitats in South America, which allowed him to then see that many of the organisms that he was seeing in the Galapagos Islands had close relatives on the South American mainland, but the islands were very different. By comparing these species to each other, Darwin saw that the various plants and animals were related but had evolved into separate species. He eventually arrived at natural selection as the mechanism that drives evolution. That's why we call islands living laboratories of evolution. They're like evolutionary petri dishes, narrow, isolated examples that demonstrate how evolution works everywhere else. Island life can be pretty good, but because of their isolation, islands are also laboratories for extinction. And in these days of climate change and other huge conservation issues, um, the organisms that live on islands are the ones that are most likely to become extinct most quickly. And here's where the pikas come in. Those cool mountaintops in the Sierra Nevada might as well be islands as far as pikas are concerned. The animals can't survive at lower altitudes in environments that don't have their preferred rock pile homes. Pikas are really cold adapted animals. Lyle Nichols. Once the temperature gets much above 20 degrees C, which is room temperature, you know, they're not active on the surface. They'll be down in the rocks where it's cooler. The pikas at Bodie are an unusual population. They live in the rock piles created by old gold mining operations. So in their case, human impact on the environment has actually been a good thing. To a point. Terry Gosliner of the California Academy of Sciences reminds us of the problem with island-like isolation. If you think of organisms that are found only on the highest mountaintops, they have no place to go. They are going to become extinct um, if we continue to see the impact of climate change that everyone predicts. Some scientists, including Lyle Nichols, think that pika populations are already shrinking because of warmer temperatures. I don't see any fresh droppings, so I think we're safe saying this one's a this territory doesn't have anybody on it. The effects of climate change may not be obvious everywhere, but just as islands show Darwin where species came from, now islands and island-like places are showing us where the planet could be going. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Molly Samuel. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.